0: Chapter Thirteen of Babbitt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Mike Vendetti, mikevendetti.com. Babbitt by Sinclair Lewis. Chapter Thirteen. One, it was by accident that Babbitt had his opportunity to address the S A R E B, the S A R E B, as its members called it, with the universal passion for mysterious and important-sounding initials was the state association of real estate boards the organization of brokers and operators it was to hold its annual convention at monarch Zenith's chief rival among the cities of the state babbitt was an official delegate another was cecil roundtree whom babbitt admired for his picturesque speculative building and hated for his social position for being present at the smartest dances on royal ridge Roundtree was chairman of the Convention Program Committee. Babbitt had growled to him, "'Makes me tired the way these doctors and profs and preachers put on lugs about being professional men. A good realtor has to have more knowledge and finesse than any of them.' "'Right you are,' I say. "'Why don't you put that into a paper and give it at the S.A.R.E.B?' suggested Roundtree. Well, if it would help, you making up the program. Tell you, the way I look at it is this. First place, we ought to insist that folks call us realtors, not real estate men. Sounds more like a regular profession. Second place, what is it distinguishes a profession from a mere trade, business, or occupation? What is it? Why, it's the public service and the skill, the trained skill, and the knowledge, and uh, all that whereas the fellow that merely goes out for the jack never considers the public service and trained skill and so on now as a professional rather that's perfectly bully perfectly cooking now you write it in a paper said roundtree as he rapidly and firmly moved away two however accustomed to the literary labors of advertisements and correspondence babbitt was dismayed on the evening when he sat down to prepare a paper which would take a whole ten minutes to read he laid out a new fifteen-cent school exercise book on his wife's collapsible sewing-table set up for the event in the living-room the household had been bullied into silence verona and ted requested to disappear and tinka threatened with if i hear one sound out of you if you holler for a glass of water one single solitary time you better not that's all. Mrs. Babbitt sat over by the piano, making a nightgown and gazing with respect, while Babbitt wrote in the exercise book to the rhythmical wriggling and squeaking of the sewing-table. When he rose, damp and jumpy, and his throat dusty from cigarettes, she marveled, I don't see how you can just sit down and make up things right out of your own head. Ah, uh, it's a training in constructive imagination that a fellow gets in modern business life. He had written seven pages, whereof the first page set forth. Illustration, admitted, consists of several doodles and 1. A profession. 2. Not just a trade crossed out. 3. Skill and vision. 3. Should be called realtor and not just real estate man. The six other pages rather like the first. For a week he went about looking important. Every morning as he dressed, he thought aloud, Did you ever stop to consider, Myra, that before a town can have buildings or prosperity or any of these things, some realtor has got to sell him the land. All civilization starts with him. Did you ever realize that?' At the athletic club, he led unwilling men aside to inquire, "Say." If you had to read a paper before a big convention, would you start in with the uh, funny stories or just kind of scatter them all through? He asked Howard Littlefield for a set of statistics about real estate sales, something good and impressive. And Littlefield provided something exceedingly good and impressive. But it was to T. Charmoldy Frank that Babbitt most often turned. He caught Frank at the club every noon and demanded, while Frank looked, hunted and invasive say chum you're a shark on this writing thing how would you put this sentence see here in my manuscript manuscript now where the deuce is that ah yes here would you say we ought not also to alone think or we ought also not to think alone or one evening when his wife was away and he had no one to impress Babbitt forgot about style, order, and other mysteries, and scrawled off what he really thought about the real estate business and about himself. And he found a paper written. When he read it to his wife, she yearned. Why, dear, it's splendid, beautifully written, and so clear and interesting, and such splendid ideas. Why, it's just, it's just splendid. Next day, he cornered Chum Frank and crowed. Well, son, I finished it last evening. Just lambed it out. I used to think you writing guys must have had a hard job making up pieces, but Lord, it's a cinch. Pretty soft for you fellows. You certainly earn your money easy. Some day when I get ready to retire, guess I'll take to writing and show you boys how to do it. I always used to think I could write better stuff and more punch and originality than all this stuff you see printed. And now I'm doggone sure of it. He had four copies of the paper typed in black with gorgeous red title, had them bound in a pale blue manila, and affably presented one to old Ira Runyon, the managing editor of the Advocate Times, who said, Yes, indeed, yes. He was very glad to have it, and he certainly would read it all through, as soon as they could find time. Mrs. Babbitt could not go to Monarch. She had a women's club meeting. Babbitt said he was very sorry. 3. Besides the five official delegates to the convention, Babbitt, Roundtree, W.A. Rogers, Alvin Thayer, and Elbert Wing, there were fifty unofficial delegates, most of them with their wives. They met at the Union Station for the Midnight Train to Monarch. All of them, save Cecil Roundtree, who was such a snob that he never wore badges, displayed celluloid buttons the size of dollars and lettered, We Zoom for Zenith. The official delegates were magnificent with silver and magenta ribbons. Martin Lumsom's little boy Willie carried a tasseled banner inscribed, Zenith, the Zip City, Zeal, Zest, and Zowie, One Million, in 1935. As the delegates arrived, not in taxicabs but in the family automobile driven by the oldest son or by cousin Fred, they formed impromptu processions through the station waiting room. It was a new and enormous waiting room with marble pilasters and fire friscoes depicting the exploration of the chalusa river valley by pierre emir forteau in seventeen forty the benches were shelves of ponderous mahogany the newsstand a marble kiosk with brass grille down the echoing spaces of the hall the delegates paraded after willie Lumsden's banner the men waving their cigars the women conscious of their new frocks and strings of beads all singing to the tune of auld Lang Syne, the official city song written by chum frink good old zenith our kin with kith wherever we may be hats in the ring we blithely sing of thy prosperity warren Willby, the broker who had a gift of verse for banquets and birthdays had added to frink's city song a special verse for the realtors convention oh here we come The fellows from Zenith, the Zip City, we wish the state in real estate. There's none so live as we. Babbitt was stirred to hysteric patriotism. He leaped on a bench, shouting it to the crowd. What's the matter with Zenith? She's all right. What's best old town in the U.S.A.? Zenith. Patient, poor people waiting for the midnight train stared in unenvious wonder italian women in shawls old weary men with broken shoes roving roadways boys in suits which had been flashy when they were new but which were faded now and wrinkled babbitt perceived that as an official delegate he must be more dignified with wing and rogers he tramped up and down the cement platform beside the waiting pullmans motor-driven baggage-truck and red-capped porters Carrying bags, sped down the platform with an agreeable effect of activity. Arc lights glared and stammered overhead. The glossy yellow sleeping car shone impressively. Babbitt made his voice to be measured and lordly. He thrust out his abdomen and rumbled, "We got to see to it that the convention lets the legislature understand just where they get off in this matter of taxing realty transfers." Wing uttered approving grunts, and Babbitt swelled and gloated. The blind of a pullman compartment was raised and babbitt looked into an unfamiliar world. The occupant of the compartment was Lucille McKelvey, the pretty wife of the millionaire contractor. Possibly, babbitt thrilled, she was going to Europe. On the seat beside her was a bunch of orchids and violets and a yellow paper-bound book which seemed foreign. While he stared, she picked up the book, then glanced out the window as though she was bored. She must have looked straight at him, and he had met her but she gave no sign. She languidly pulled down the blind, and he stood still, a cold feeling of insignificance in his heart. But on the train his pride was restored by meeting delegates from Sparta, Pioneer, and other smaller cities of the state who listened respectfully, when as a Magnifico, from the metropolis of Zenith, he explained politics and the value of a good, sound business administration. They fell joyfully into chop-talk the purest and most rapturous form of conversation how'd this fellow roundtree make out with his big apartment hotel he was going to put up what'd he do get out bonds to finance it asked a spartan broker well i'll tell you said babbitt now if i'd been handling it so ebert wing was droning i hired this shop window for a week and put up a big sign toward town for tiny tots and stuck in a lot of doll houses and some dinky little trees and then down at the bottom baby liked this dolly dale but papa and mamma will prefer our beautiful bungalows and you know that certainly got folks talking and first week we sold the trucks sang lickety lick lickety lick as the train ran through the factory district Furnaces spurted flame, and power hammers were clanging. Red lights, green lights, furious white lights rushed past. And Babbitt was important again and eager. 4. He did a voluptuous thing. He had his clothes pressed on the train. In the morning, half an hour before they reached Monarch, the porter came to his berth and whispered, "'There's a drawing-room, Bacon, sir. I'll put your suit in there.' In tan autumn overcoat over his pajamas, Babbitt slipped down the green-curtain-lined aisle to the glory of his first private compartment. The porter indicated that he knew Babbitt was used to a man-servant. He held the ends of Babbitt's trousers, that the beautifully sponged garment might not be soiled, filled the bowl in the private washroom, and waited with a towel. To have a private washroom was luxurious. However, enlivening up, Pullman smoking compartment was by night even to babbitt it was depressing in the morning when it was jammed with fat men in woolen undershirts every hook filled with wrinkled cottony shirts the leather seat piled with dingy toilet kits and the air nauseating with the smell of soap and toothpaste babbitt did not ordinarily think much of privacy but now he reveled in it reveled in his valet and purred with pleasure as he gave the man a tip of a dollar and a half. He rather hoped that he was being noticed, as in his newly-pressed clothes, with the adoring porter carrying his suitcase, he disembarked at Monarch. He was to share a room at the Hotel Sedgwick with W. A. Rogers, that shrewd, rustic-looking Zenith dealer in farmlands. Together they had a noble breakfast with waffles and coffee, not in exiguous cups, but in large pots babbitt grew expansive and told rogers about the art of writing he gave a bellboy a quarter to fetch a morning newspaper from the lobby and sent tinka a postcard papa wishes you were here to bat around with him v the meetings of the convention were held in the ballroom of the allen house in an anteroom was the office of the chairman of the executive committee he was the busiest man in the convention he was so busy he got nothing done whatever he sat at a market-table in a room littered with crumpled paper and all day long town boosters and lobbyists and orators who wished to lead debates came and whispered to him whereupon he looked vague and said rapidly yes yes that's a fine idea we'll do that and instantly forgot all about it lighted a cigar and forgot that too while the telephone rang mercilessly and about him men kept beseeching say mr chairman say mr chairman without penetrating his exhausted hearing in the exhibit room were plans of the new suburb of sparta pictures of the new state capitol at gallop d'yvash and large ears of corn with the label nature's gold from shelby county the garden spot of god's own country the real convention consisted of men muttering in hotel bedrooms or in groups amid the badge spotted crowd in the hotel lobby. But there was a show of public meetings. The first of them opened with a welcome by the mayor of Monarch. The pastor of the First Christian Church of Monarch, a large man with a long, damp frontal lock, informed God that the real estate men were here now. The venerable many magnetic realtor, Major Carlton Took read a paper in which he denounced cooperative stores william a larkin of eureka gave a comforting prognosis of the prospects for increased construction and reminded them that plate-glass prices were two points lower the convention was on the delegates were entertained incessantly and firmly the monarch chamber of commerce gave them a banquet and the manufacturers association an afternoon reception At which a chrysanthemum was presented to each of the ladies, and to each of the men, a leather billfold inscribed "From Monarchs, the Mighty Motor Mart." Mrs. Crosby Knowlton, wife of the manufacturer of Fleetwing automobiles, opened her celebrated Italian garden and served tea. Six hundred real estate men and wives ambled down the automobile path. Perhaps three hundred of them were quietly inconspicuous. Perhaps three hundred vigorously exclaimed this is pretty slick eh surreptitiously picked the late asters and concealed them in their pockets and tried to get near enough to mrs knowlton to shake her lovely hand without request the zenith delegates except roundtree gathered round a marble dancing nymph and sang here we come the fellows from zenith the zip city it chanced that all the delegates from Pioneer belonged to the brotherly and protective order of Elks, and they produced an enormous banner lettered B P O E, Best People on Earth, Boost Pioneer. Oh, Eddie! Nor was Gallop De the state capital to be slighted. The leader of the Gallop De delegation was a large reddish, roundish man, but active. He took off his coat hurled his broad black felt hat on the ground, rolled up his sleeves, climbed upon the sundial, spat, and bellowed, "'We'll tell the world and the good lady who's giving the show this afternoon that the bonniest burg in this man's state is Gallop D. Finch. You boys can talk about your zip, but just let me murmur that old Gallop has the largest proportion of home-owning citizens in the state, and when folks own their own homes, they ain't starting labor troubles.' and they're raisin' kids instead of raisin' hell gallop de veitch the town for homey folks the town that eats em alive oh bosco we'll tell the world the guests drove off the garden shivered into quiet but mrs crosby knowlton sighed as she looked at the marble seat warm from five hundred summers of amphily, on the face of a winged sphinx which supported it someone had drawn a mustache and lead pencil. Crumpled paper napkins were dumped among the Michellmann's daisies. On the walk, like shredded lovely flesh, were the petals of the last gallant rose. Cigarette stubs floated in the goldfish pool, trailing an evil stain as they swelled and disintegrated, and beneath the marble seat, the fragments carefully put together, was a smashed teacup six as he rode back to the hotel babbitt reflected mara would have enjoyed all this social agony for himself he cared less for the garden party than for the motor tours which the monarch chamber of commerce had arranged Indefatigably, he viewed water reservoirs suburban trolley stations and tanneries he devoured the statistics which were given to him and marveled to his roommate w a rogers of course this town isn't a patch on zenith it hasn't got our outlook and natural resources but you you know i never did till today that they manufactured seven hundred and sixty-three million feet of lumber last year what do you think of that he was nervous as the time for reading his paper approached when he stood on the low platform before the convention he trembled and saw only a purple haze but he was in earnest and when he finished the formal paper he talked to them his hands in his pockets his spectacle face a flashing disk like a plate set up on edge in the lamplight they shouted that's the stuff and in the discussion afterwards they reflected with impressiveness to our friend and brother mr george f babbitt he had in fifteen minutes changed from a minor delegate to a personage almost as well known as that diplomat of business Cecil Roundtree. After the meeting, delegates from all over the state said, How are you, Brother Babbitt? Sixteen complete strangers called him, George, and three men took him into corners to confide. Mighty glad you had the courage to stand up and give the profession a real boost. Now I've always maintained. Next morning, with tremendous casualness, Babbitt asked the girl at the hotel newsstand for the newspaper from Zenith. There was nothing in the press, but in the Advocate Times on the third page, he gasped. They had printed his picture and a half column account. The heading was sensation at annual land men's convention. GF Babbitt, prominent zip town realtor, keynoter in fine address. He murmured reverently. I guess some of the folks on Floral Heights will sit up and take notice now. Pay a little attention to old Georgie. 7. It was the last meeting. The delegations were presenting the claims of their several cities to next year's conventions. Orators were announcing that Gallup de the capital city, the site of Frimer College and the Upholtz Knitting Works, is the recognized center of culture and high-class enterprise, and that Hamburg, the big little city with a logical location. Where every man is open-handed and every woman a heaven-born hostess throws wide to you her hospitable gates. In the midst of these more diffident invitations, the golden doors of the ballroom opened, with a battling of trumpets and a circus parade rolled in. It was composed of the zenith brokers, dressed as cowpunchers, bareback riders, Japanese jugglers. At the head was Big Warren Woodby, in the bearskin and gold and crimson coat of a drum major behind him as a clown beating a brass drum extraordinarily happy and noisy was babbitt warren whitby leaped to the platform made merry play of his baton and observed boys and girlsies the time has come to get down to cases a dyed in the wool zenithite sure loves his neighbors but we've made up our minds to grab this convention off our neighbor-bergs like we've grabbed the condensed milk business and the paper-box business and— Harry J. Barnhill, the convention chairman, hinted, We're grateful to you, Mr. Uh— but you must give the other boys a chance to hand in their bids now. A fog-blowing voice blared. Riga, we'll promise free motor rides through the prettiest country. Running down the aisle, clapping his hands, a lean, bald young man cried, "I'm from Sparta. Our Chamber of Commerce has wired me. They've set aside eight thousand dollars of real money for entertainment at the convention." A clerical-looking man rose to clamor, "Money talks. Move. We accept the bid from Sparta." It was accepted. Eight. The committee on resolutions was reporting. They said that whereas Almighty God, in His beneficent mercy, had seen fit to remove to a sphere of higher usefulness some thirty-six realtors of the state the past year therefore it was the sentiment of this convention assembled that they were sorry god had done it that the secretary should be and hereby was instructed to spread these resolutions on the minutes and to console the bereaved families by sending them each a copy a second resolution authorized the president of the sareb to spend $15,000 in lobbying for sane tax measures in the state legislature. This resolution had a good deal to say about menaces to sound businesses and clearing the wheels of progress from ill-advised and short-sighted obstacles. The Committee on Committees reported, and with startled awe, Babbitt learned that he had been appointed a member of the Committee on Turin's Titles. He rejoiced i said it was going to be a good year georgie old son you got big things ahead of you you're a natural born orator and a good mixer and zowie. nine there was no formal entertainment provided for the last evening babbitt had planned to go home but that afternoon the jared sassingers of pioneers suggested that babbitt and w a rogers have tea with them at the chattalupa inn teas were not known to babbitt his wife and he earnestly attended them at least twice a year but they were sufficiently exotic to make him feel important he sat at a glass-covered table in the art-room of the inn with its painted rabbits and mottoes lettered in birch bark and waitresses being artistic in dutch caps he ate insufficient lettuce sandwiches and was lively and naughty with mrs sassenberger who was as smooth and large-eyed as a cloak model sassburger and he had met two days before so they were calling each other georgie and sassy sassburger said prayfully say boys before you go seeing this is the last chance i've got it up in my room and miriam here is the best little mixologist in the estados unidos like us italians say eh? With wide flowering gestures Babbitt and Rogers followed the Sasseburgers to the room Mrs Sasseburger shrieked "Oh how terrible" when she saw that she had left a chemise of sheer lavender crepe on the bed she tucked it into a bag while Babbitt giggled "Don't mind us we're a couple of little devils" Sassburger telephoned for ice and the bellboy who brought it said prosaically and unprompted highball glasses or cocktail Miriam sasperger mixed the cocktails in one of those dismal nakedly white water-pitchers which exist only in hotels when they had finished the first round she proved by intoning think you boys could stand another you got a dividend coming that though she was but a woman she knew the complete and perfect right of cocktail drinking outside babbitt hinted to rogers Say, hey, W.A. Old Rooster, it comes over me that I could stand it if we didn't go back to the lovin wives this handsome a bend, but just kind of stayed in Monarch and threw a party, eh? George, you speak with the tongue of wisdom and shiver verse. L. Wing's wife has gone to Pittsburgh. Let's see if we can't gather him in. At half-past seven, they sat in the room with Albert Wing, and two upstate delegates, their coats were off, vests open, their faces red, their voices emphatic. They were finishing a bottle of corrosive bootlegged whiskey, and imploring the bellboy, "Hey, son, can you get us more of this embalming fluid?" They were smoking large cigars and dropping ashes and stubs on the carpet, with windy guffaws. They were telling stories. They were, in fact, males in a happy state of nature. Babbitt sighed i don't know how it strikes you Hellions, but personally i like this busting loose for a change and kicking over a couple of mountains and climbing up the north pole and waving the aurora borealis around the man from Sparta, a grave intense youngster babbled hey, i guess i'm good a husband as to run the mill but god i do get so tired of going home every evening and nothing to see but the movies that's why i go out and drill with the national guard i guess i got the nicest little wife in my burg but say know what i wanted to do as a kid know what i wanted to do wanted to be a big chemist that's what i wanted to do but dad chased me out on the road selling kitchenware and here i'm settled down settled for life not a chance oh who in the devil started this funeral talk how about another little drink another drink yeah cut the snob stuff said w a rogers jingly the boys know i'm the village songster come on now sing up said the old abadiah to the young abadiah i'm a dry abadiah i am dry say the young abadiah to the old abadiah so am i abadiah so am i after dinner at the moorish grill-room of the hotel sedgwick somewhere somehow they seemed to have gathered in two other comrades a manufacturer of fly paper and a dentist they all drank whiskey from teacups, and they were humorous and never listened to one another except when w a rogers kidded the italian waiter hey giuseppe he said innocently i want a couple of fried elephant's ears sorry sir we haven't any huh no elephant's ears what do you know about that rogers turned to babbitt Pedro says the elephant's ears are all out. "'Well, I'll be switched,' said the man from Sparta, with difficulty hiding his laughter. "'Well, in that case, Carlo, just bring me a hunk of steak and a couple of bushels of French fried potatoes and some peas,' Rogers went on. "'I suppose back in dear sunny old Italians get their fresh garden peas on the can.' "'No, sir, we have mighty nice peas in Italy.' Is that a fact, Georgie? Did you hear that? They get their fresh garden peas of the garden Italy. By golly, you live and learn, don't you, Antonio? You certainly do live and learn if you live long enough to keep your strength. All right, Giobaldi, just shoot me that steak, with about two printer reams of French fry spuds, or the promenade deck comprehensive vous, Michevich Angeloni. After Albert Wing admired. Gee, you certainly did have that poor Dago goin' w-a. He couldn't make you out at all. In the Monarch Herald, Babbitt found an advertisement which he read aloud to applause and laughter. Old Colony Theater, shake the old dogs to the rollicking wrens, the bonniest bevy of beauteous babing beauties in burlesque. Pete Muity and his old gee kids. This is a straight steer, Benny. The painless chicklets of the rollicking wrens are the cuddlest bunch that ever hit town. Steer the feet, get the cardboard, and twist the pupils to the p d q s show ever. You'll get a one hundred and eleven percent on your kale in the fun fest. The Carloza sisters are sure some lookers, and will give you a run for your guilt. Jock Silberstein is one of the pepper lads and slips you a dose of real laughter. Shoot the ups and downs of, to Jackson and West graceful trappers. They run one, two, under the wire. Proven and Adams will blow the blues in their high-skit hoochmon. Something doing, boys? Listen to what the Hepbird twitters. Sounds like a juicy show to me. Let's take it in, said Babbitt but they put off departure as long as they could they were safe while they sat here legs firmly crossed under the table but they felt unsteady they were afraid of navigating the long and slippery floor of the grill-room under the eyes of the other guests and two attentive waiters when they did venture tables got in their way and they sought to cover embarrassment by heavy jocularity at the coat-room as the girl handed out their hats They smiled at her and hoped that she, a cool and expert judge, would feel that they were gentlemen. They croaked at one another, Who owns the bum lid? And you take the good one, George, I'll take what's left. And the check girl, they stammered, Better come along, sister. High, wide, and fancy, evening ahead. All of them tried to tip her, urging one another, No, no, wait, here. I got it, I got it. Among them, they gave her three dollars. 11. Flamboyantly smoking cigars, they sat in a box at the burlesque show, their feet up on the rail while a chorus of twenty daubed worries and inextinguishably respectable grandarmes swung their legs in the more elementary chorus line evolutions, and A Jewish comedian made vicious fun of Jews in the interesses they met other lone delegates, a dozen of them went in taxicabs out to Bright Blossom Inn. Where the blossoms were made of dusty paper, festooned along a room low and stinking like a cow stable, no longer widely used. Here, whiskey was served openly in glasses. Two or three clerks, who on payday longed to be taken for millionaires, sheepishly danced with telephone girls and manicure girls in the narrow space between the tables. Fantastically, whirled the professionals—a young man in sleek evening clothes and a slim mad girl in emerald silk, with amber hair flung up as jaggedly as flames. Babbitt tried to dance with her. He shuffled along the floor, too bulky to be guided, his steps unrelated to the rhythm of the jungle music, and in his staggering would have fallen had she not held him up with supple, kindly strength. He was blind and deaf from Prohibition-era alcohol. He could not see the tables, the faces, but he was overwhelmed by the girl and her young pliant warmth when she had firmly returned him to his group he remembered by a connection quite untraceable that his mother's mother had been scotch and with head thrown back eyes closed wide mouth indicating ecstasy he sang very slowly and richly loch loman but that was the last of his mellowness and jolly companionship The man from Sparta said he was a bum-singer, and for ten minutes Babbitt quarreled with him in a loud, unsteady, heroic indignation. They called for drinks till the manager insisted that the place was closed. All the while Babbitt felt a hot, raw desire for more brutal amusements. When W. A. Rogers drawled, What say we go down the line and look over the girls? He agreed savagely. Before they went, three of them secretly made appointments with the professional dancing girl who agreed yes sir yes sir sure darling to everything they said and amiably forgot them as they drove back through the outskirts of monarch down streets of small brown wooden cottages of workmen characterless as cells as they rattled across warehouse districts which by drunken nights seemed vast and perilous as they were borne toward the red lights in violent automatic pianos and the stocky women whose simpered babbitt was frightened he wanted to leap from the taxicab but all his body was a murky fire and he groaned too late to quit now and knew that he did not want to quit there was they felt one very humorous incident on the way a broker from many magnetics said monarch is a lot sportier than zenith you zenith tightwads haven't got any joints like these here babbitt raged that's a dirty lie nothing you can't find in zenith believe me we got more houses and hooch parlors and all kinds of dives than any burg in the state he realized they were laughing at him he desired to fight and forgot it in such musty unsatisfying experiments as he had not known since college in the morning when he returned to zenith his desire for rebellion was partially satisfied he had retrograded to a shamefaced contentment he was irritable he did not smile when w a rogers complained oh what a head i certainly do feel like the wrath of god this morning say i know what was the trouble somebody went and put alcohol on my booze last night Babbitt's excursion was never known to his family, nor to anyone in Zenith save Rogers and Wing. It was not officially recognized even by himself. If it had any consequences, they have not been discovered. End of chapter 11